Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Hello, and welcome to episode 233 of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. We're here today with Dr. Mario Voigt, a Thuringian state parliamentarian in Landtag in Germany. Uh, He's a deputy regional president of the Christian Democratic Union, or the CDU, a former chairman of the Committee on Education, Science, and Culture. Dr. Voigt is a former secretary general of the Thuringian Union and is formerly with Siemens Advocacy, the Conrad Adenauer Foundation in Washington, D.C., and with Analytic Jena, Jena being the city that he currently represents. He is currently the speaker on economy, science, and digitalization in the Landtag, which is, again, the state parliament in Thuringian State in Germany, and is a professor of digital transformation at Quadriga University in Berlin. Dr. Voigt, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Thanks, Jordan. I'm wonderful, and it's a really great opportunity speaking with you. Well, we're glad to have you. So the first question I'd like to pose to you, what are you currently doing, or what have you ever done to advance the public interest, and why? I think I try to do it on a daily basis because I believe politics is about the small and the big things alike. The small things when you are try to represent people from a district which come with completely different things, uh, either being a company who tries to get uh, support for a certain project or uh, a, a usual citizen, normal citizens who basically has problems with administration things and you try to help them. These are the small things and I try to do on a daily basis. But the big things, and that's why I'm really glad that we could talk today, is uh, I try to um, make people understand what it means um, living in a globalized world. And this means talking uh, to each other and doing a lot of things uh, for myself in Asia and North and South America, where I uh, try to host conferences, try to get uh, people together and try to understand each other better. And this is what I try on a monthly basis, because I believe if we as a young generation don't do that, uh, we lose um, a grip on uh, what's going on in the world. And then problems will multiply. And I try to lesson problems. It's so interesting, Mario, that you speak about globalization and in, and being involved with organizations in other countries, having conferences in South America, Asia. Clearly, you've even worked uh, in the United States. You've studied there. You've published a, a book on, on uh, electoral politics in the United States. Yet, you cannot actually legislate on anything pertaining to international relations. You're not in the national parliament, the Bundestag. You're in the Landtag. So, how do you I guess, I guess, draw the correlation. What is your role? How how is it that you are able to create? Uh, or when you go to these other nations and you create these conferences and you're building these relationships, are you doing that in your capacity as a state parliamentarian? Or are you? How are you able to? I guess fulfill your role uh, on the state level by being involved with international. Uh, I mean, that's a very good question, uh, but the point is I believe politics is about four Ps. Mm-hmm. It's about uh, people, it's about principles, it's about purpose, and it's about participation. Mm-hmm. And uh, ultimately, if you start off, uh, you have to connect people with each other, and then you talk about the principles you are representing. I'm a Christian Democrat, so I believe in conservative principles but uh, in a very economical approach uh, towards uh, 
uh, uh, growth. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I talk about purpose and make life better of people. And then ultimately, it's about participation, connecting people. So, and that's something, get people involved, empower them to do something and to change the world. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter in which parliament you sit. It's, uh, it depends on what ideas you represent. And, for example, I've spoken in, like, uh, now over 30 countries on mm -hmm. political issues. So, and when you do that, you're going to feel that it's not so much a difference between someone, let's say, from Cambodia mm -hmm. uh, or Myanmar in Asia, or if you talk to someone from Virginia in the U.S., or I've just recently been to Colombia, mm -hmm. and you're all going to see they have sometimes much different problems, but ultimately they all relate back to the question, are you able uh, to form an idea of the society you are in, shape it, and sometimes apply principles which are from a completely different part of the world in your own neighborhood and therefore making life better. And we live in a digitalized world. And their solutions sometimes can be just a fingertip away. You know? So throughout the course of your exposure to various politicians from different nations, have you been able to bring any ideas back to your district in Jena uh, in order to benefit your constituents? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, for example... Um, when I see what's going on with uh, digital transformation in Asia, I'm, in September I'm going to be in Singapore, and what they do is just fascinating, you mm -hmm. know. And sometimes just to make public service much easier, or I've just been to Azerbaijan. It's a country where everyone thinks, well, it's a developing country. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I would say they have the best public service, citizen, or citizen service uh, in the world because they do it all digitalized. They have one-stop shop where every citizen can go in, and if they have a problem, there are different agencies in one building mm -hmm. and you can track it all on the computer mm -hmm. and if you find well mm -hmm. uh, there is a spot where I can jump in and, and, and raise my voice or uh, raise my problem and then the computer basically tracks you and helps you to address your problem with a public uh, official and that's something which is fascinating I've never seen it in Germany so I try to implement it mm -hmm. here in Germany right now or for example different angle uh, in September, I'm going to have over uh, um, a group of Asian politicians. And what I will do with them, I will go to our um, uh, uh, water waste management here in my own city in Jena. And I'm going to show them how we do it because they have severe problems uh, dealing with uh, environmental issues. So they benefit from what we are doing. Mm -hmm. And that's what I believe ultimately globalization is, you learn from each other and uh, to a ben in a beneficial way. Now, we're sitting currently in Germany, which is in Europe. We're in uh, Germany, which is part of the European Union. There are sentiments these days uh, that are more isolationist in nature uh, about, you know, I guess there's uh, obviously Brexit with Great Britain seeking to leave the European Union. Uh, there's uh, fringe parties that are arising in different nations across the EU uh, that want to have more uh, sovereignty and, and less interdependence with other nations. And, of course, um, in the United States, uh, most prominently, you have a new leader who uh, seeks to, in some extent, have protectionist policies, uh, move away from free trade, disable uh, some, some free trade agreements, and create more... Uh, isolated different societies is quite the opposite of an integrated globalized world where you're having politicians communicate across borders. 
how do you react to this isolationist trend? To what do you attribute to it? And I guess as uh, a representative in the Landtag here, how are you seeking to uh, combat or remedy uh, this growing isolationist trend? I, I believe it's not just an uh, isolationist trend. I think it's a challenge uh, of, uh, of the Western narrative. Uh, for 500 years, uh, we always could uh, safely claim uh, that the democratic free market or social market economy approach uh, with a free society or open society is the best way uh, how uh, society and a state pro uh, is, is, uh, is prosperous. Um, now what we're going to see is uh, for a couple of years already uh, that this narrative uh, is under attack uh, and China or other global players uh, they basically attribute different concepts of the world and apply it and we have to in a way, fight back if we still believe that our human rights, democratic, uh, economical approach is, is uh, still the, the, the best option for the world. So, And now what's happening is um, uh, some leaders try to take the shortcut uh, in answering this question. Uh, do you think seriously that uh, the U.S. or Europe is going to be successful if we... Uh, um, uh, rely on concept of the 19th century by the tariffs and protection, I doubt that. So uh, I'm a strong advocate for free trade because I believe that ultimately, and this is, I mean, historically pr proven, makes everyone better off. And free trade is actually the basis of the European Union, which began as a European uh, economic uh, co cooperative Organization. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. completely true. But uh, there you can see that, uh, and this uh, basically what I mean with Western narrative. This also uh, integrates the belief that it's not just about the free movement of goods; mm -hmm. it's also about the free movement of people. And now um, there comes basically uh, a second thing into this, uh, let's say, um, narrative um, uh, challenge. It's it's a question about. Um, a demographic shift within the society. And I mean, you see this in the U.S. Mm -hmm. We see this in Europe. In the U.S., you're go basically going to find that the Hispanic population is growing rapidly mm -hmm. and uh, two-thirds of the young people under 18 are, have a, a Hispanic background and I'm always, uh, I'm always smiling when I hear this talk about building a wall to Mexico because basically your demographic shift within your own society is going to be complete, it's going to be find a complete different society in 10 years from now. And the same holds true for for Europe and in a much more uh, uh, rapid way because we are aging so quickly. And what's happening is what you're going to find, Chancellor Merkel just traveled, traveled recently to Africa and she visited states where the average age of the society is 15 years. And just for comparison, what's the average age of Germany? That's what I just wanted to say. That in Germany, it's 45. So what you're going to find is our society is much older, and if we want to keep up our lifestyle, which is probably one of the highest in the world, you know, and our social security system definitely is, we need a strong workforce. And right now we have so many Germans employed, um, uh, which we never had before, 42 uh, 
a million Germans have a have a have a stable job. We have an unemployment rate below six percent, five percent. This is for European standards unbelievable. Our youth unemployment rate is uh, below five percent. Just by comparison, Spain within Europe has like fifty percent, so uh, ten times more. And there you can find Germany is so well off, and therefore we are advocating so strongly for first free trade. Secondly, working on human rights issues all around the globe. Thirdly, uh, working on more integration. This means um, uh, integrating uh, smart people from all over the globe, just also for the benefit of our own society. But also, if we educate them well and they're going to go back to their own country, it will be also beneficial for the, their countries as well. And this is ultimately what we have to achieve, because otherwise we will have a refugee crisis all around the globe. And uh, thirdly, uh, fourth, fourthly, and this is probably the, 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 the final thing, we also advocate for international uh, bodies where you solve issues like that, because we believe that uh, taking the national ro road uh, just uh, uh, helps you halfway, and uh, I believe uh, if this or if this whole identity politics, which we see all around the globe, will prevail, we ultimately will go back to the dark ages. You know, and that's something which we shouldn't do. So, if identity politics will prevail, will regress uh, as societies. Now, you spoke about international bodies, uh, namely those being active in Europe are the United Nations and, and NATO. I suppose you see those as effective uh, problem-solving bodies. I mean, quite frankly, uh, I have been advocating for a pretty long time that they are inefficient, mm -hmm. and I still think we have to change certain things there. But um, or in the European Union too. Is it, I mean, how? What are your thoughts on the European Union? What is your? What are your? And to what extent do they align with uh, your constituents' thoughts on the European Union? I mean, the European Union is basically um, under scrutiny for a pretty long time because it has been a successful economic model, mm -hmm. but you have to answer the question uh, if it should be what we call the even closer union, you know, if we should also enforce more political rules. But therefore, you need, in my opinion, more democratic legitimization uh, of, uh, of the European Union because right now it's basically uh, more... Um, federation of states you know and on that topic especially as a scholar of american political history sometimes comparisons have been made between the current european union and the articles of confederation that did not work for the uh, newly independent united states which later were replaced by the u.s constitution do you see any similarities or differences there and of course could you answer that within the context of a few years ago france i believe voting down a more uh, stringent a stronger more coherent constitution that would have potentially more closely resembled what united states look like today I mean, this might be painful now for constitution scholars, but uh, I would argue um, that the constitution is basically a living document of what has been um, was what has been already established. So, and uh, the problem which and there's a difference to the U.S. problem which we have is uh, we have always ne we have we have all uh, obviously national identities, which is completely okay. If someone from Greece will never be the same 
uh, someone from Norway or from well, no, Norway is a bad example, but uh, from Denmark or from from Sweden. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, therefore, we uh, we have different languages, and this has been different in the U.S. Uh, um, uh, at the time. Uh, so I think uh, we won't take the approach the, the the U.S. has taken. But what we definitely need is uh, at least a Europe of of different speeds, you know, of different speeds of integration. We will have a core set of states which will um, increase and enhance their uh, integration. And we will have uh, surrounding states which will see the economical benefit of being part of the European Union. And so they will be on board. And this is the interesting thing which we're going to see in Brexit. And here I really... um, uh, go out on a limb. Uh, uh, I believe uh, that Brexit will not, not happen ultimately because if great if the if the Britons Britons come to census, they were going to see that it will be economically ruinable for them to to continue this path. And even if the the leaders uh, the the elected officials representing Great Britain today suppose they didn't want to leave Brexit, and of course David Cameron uh, the former prime minister who led the referendum uh, was, op- was opposed uh, to Brexit. Suppose the elected officials, oh, the majority of them rep- in, in the uh, British Parliament, wished to remain in the European Union. What does it say about democracy that they would, in effect, have contradicted the national will as expressed in the referendum? Yeah, well, that's, that's a really good question, but uh, uh, ultimately I'm going to see a, a, a second referendum happening um, because I believe that a lot of um, the, uh, people in Great Britain have understood now completely what they have voted on, you know, and the day after... Uh, the most uh, researched, uh, uh, um, the most researched line on Google was like effects of, uh, what of is Brexit. The EU? Yeah, what is the EU and the effects on Great Britain? Mm-hmm. So, and there you're gonna find uh, that's, uh, and that's why I'm sometimes critical on on such uh, direct democratic uh, processes. If you are not able to, um, uh, or the, the, the redu- reduction of complexity mm-hmm. can not. Every uh, not every time lead you to the question of yes or no. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, sometimes it's more gray. There are more shades of gray, and you have to explain them uh, more properly. And therefore, I believe what's going to happen is they have now a two years time uh, of, of um, um, yeah debate uh, and of negotiations. And at the end, they will ultimately uh, take it back to the people. And if they deny them uh, the Brexit uh, um, negotiations. Then we have an open mandate for uh, renegotiating uh, the, the, the UK being part of the European Union again. And ultimately, I believe if my concept of the two different speeds mm-hmm. uh, of integration are uh, going to take place, Great Britain will understand that they're going to be part of this other group which are closer integrated but uh, yet uh, not uh, politically so much involved. So, Mario, speaking about democracy, and and we mentioned earlier how China uh, has a different vision for the way the world ought to be uh, developing, and in light of our conversation just now about the Brexit talks and how perhaps direct democracy, uh, democracy by referendum, isn't uh, something that would be in a national interest, I I guess I'd like to ask, 
what and also since you spoke about the western narrative being challenged what is it what is democracy what is our is a representative democracy what does it mean to be a democratic nation to what extent we've been speaking about integration to what extent i guess i'm speaking about identity politics uh, to what extent are we remaining European or remaining German when we're integrating people? To what extent are we remaining a free and democratic country if we could potentially go back on what a referendum said? I guess I'm asking you just to reflect on the state of democracy uh, in Western Europe today. I mean, I'm also a part of the, um, of the re-election team of Angela Merkel. So uh, what I'm doing is basically try to... Um, uh, try to mobilize people to go to vote, you know, because our turnout usually is around 70% uh, in Germany, 70-75%. I do that because I believe taking part in the democratic process uh, is uh, not just a civic duty, it also decides on in which direction our country is going, you know. And right now, and this has been seen by uh, at the times when the refugee crisis hit Germany, Right now, there are different approaches uh, um, uh, struggling. One is uh, we uh, we have to close our borders and we are very well off, so let's maintain that. And there are other people who probably, like me, take a more international approach and say, well, we live in a globalized world. We will never turn back the, the ship, so we are in open waters, and now let's stick a course where we believe we're going to see uh, uh, even brighter future, you know. So, And uh, therefore, we, uh, as people who are internationally active, we have to advocate what are the benefits of this, of this globalized world. And now the interesting thing is, um, which solutions can we provide? And uh, there, I believe, um, we have to... We have to show like a kind of a finishing picture, the, the, the finishing line picture. We have to show what, what what's going to be the bigger vision of it. And therefore, we need, for example, the U.S. on our side. And that's why I'm sometimes, as a, as a, as a very big advocate for transatlantic relations, I'm a kind of worried uh, how, how big the disconnect is uh, right now in the debate between what we want to achieve as Germans and Europeans and what the U.S. wants to achieve. And by the way, it's not about Trump. It's about what the, the Democrats and, 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 and Republicans sometimes uh, advocate. And then I met people, and I really loved the U.S., yeah, but uh, uh, I sometimes met people, they were proud that they haven't had a travel passport. You know, So that's something which I found completely yeah, strange to me. Yeah. So you've touched upon, uh, a, I guess, a... a a political touch. There's, there's, there's a political uh, dilemma that has faced every society uh, in the modern age, which is that those who have a little bit to lose, f I guess, um, I guess, will fight back harder against change, right, to avoid losing what they have. Then all of those many who have much more to gain will fight for those gains because I guess it's it's much. Uh, uh, those those who have something in the hand are going to fight a lot more than those who have so much to gain but don't have anything in the hand right now. How do you actually create that vision for your constituency? This vision of an imp uh, of the benefits of an Im of an improved and more well integrated society, uh, especially when there will be a few people who lose out in that process and they are so vociferous in their opposition to change. 
No, I, I try to do that, uh, but it's basically easier for me than probably somewhere in the western part of Germany because I'm, in the, I'm, I'm working and living in the eastern part of Germany and people for 25 years now have seen transformative powers at work. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people have lost their jobs. They completely had to newly learn what uh, how, uh, how what the job market is uh, they had to learn a lot of things and there was a lot of investment in infrastructure and they had to, to uh, they had to go through a lot of changes mm -hmm. but still ultimately right now uh, this uh, uh, it, it has come true what Helmut Kohl our chancellor back in the days had said that there will be like uh, um, Uh, flourishing landscapes and uh, what he meant basically that we're going to be successful uh, again and I have to say we are so uh, my constituency is not so much a, a big of a deal because people have seen the change is part of life but uh, in the western part of Germany they still think well uh, maybe we can uh, we can uh, by men By, by, by staying more of the same we're going to be successful and ultimately that's what the politics is all about Either people believe it's more of the same or they believe change is the right way. Now, I'm coming from a conservative background, so we always believe uh, we just have to change as much as, ne as, as needed. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like our uh, a permanent state of, uh, state of uh, uh, affairs, but um, that's something which is driving me in my constituency, but in all the things I do. And what I, what I wanted to say is uh, what I believe Uh, in the U.S., but also in Europe, is a kind of a, um, is a kind of a threat for us that we approach democracy more as a procedure. You know, it's more a legal, um, legalistic uh, uh, approach that we say, well, we have to follow up on procedures and this and that. But it's less about the vision, the ideas, and the. Uh, um, the policy which is at hand you know I mean I've, I'm following American politics for a pretty long time and I mean you are in a way of a gridlock you know mm -hmm. uh, and I mean it doesn't on a national level on a, yeah on a national level but I mean uh, sorry uh, to spoil your um Uh, to spoil you on that, but I mean, if I if I if I look at the state level, mm -hmm. uh, what I gonna find is that uh, in most of the uh, American uh, U.S. states, mm -hmm. uh, Republicans uh, hold the governorship. Uh, they have most of the state uh, uh, assemblies, and uh, I mean, they even uh, now uh, the most of the lieutenant governors are from the Republican Party. So what you're gonna find there is. And that's why it wasn't so much surprising to me how the how the national uh, uh, um, elections turned out. There is a kind of of tendency how people perceive politics, but this is not what I what I, what I wanted to aim at. What I wanted to aim at was uh, that in the U.S. as much as, as in Germany, we often pres uh, approach politics as procedural, as a very narrow. And, but you don't win over the hearts and minds of people if you approach it uh, in a small way. And this is, in my opinion, the, the blueprint for victory for, uh, was a blueprint of victory for, for Donald Trump because he was able to basically, if you agree on that or not, he was able to show kind of a, 
this is where this is where I want to go, and this is the big picture of the U.S. You know, and this is what what uh, I mean. What we also going to face in Europe, uh, the next generation of politicians have to answer the question: What will be the direction of the of Europe? And if we are not able to do that, extremists on the left and on the right is going to be successful. And therefore, I'm working hard for a center right movement to answer this question. So. As we approach the end of this podcast, Mario, I'd like to ask you to reflect upon why it is that you have entered public service through elected office. You've been engaged in electoral politics since the early 90s. Um, in various forms, you've been engaged in the party infrastructure, slowly taking on political responsibilities. Why is it that you have found it worthwhile, fulfilling, and meaningful to dedicate a significant portion of your life, both professionally and academically, uh, in, in American politics and, and uh, in speaking in conferences on political science around the world, but also uh, politically uh, through elected office. And then what do you hope to uh, will be the effect of your years in office? So essentially this question is about, one, your motivations to participate in, in uh, public service, and two, your legacy of that participation. I mean, this relates back to the question why I entered it in the first place. You know, when I was like 16, I come from a small town and we didn't really have a place for young people to meet. So I went to the mayor and said, you know, we're going to need that. Mm -hmm. And like with a lot of back and forth, we ultimately got that. Mm -hmm. So I felt, well, I, I can make a difference, even though it is a small one. Then I went to the first uh, party conference of my, of my youth organization, of my party, and basically, like, uh, there were in the board of the party seven spots uh, uh, which you could, el uh, could people elect in. So, mm -hmm. And we were eight people participating. Mm -hmm. And the other seven uh, knew each other. So you can, uh, you, can, you can basically answer the question, who was the one who, left out, who were left out of the, party, uh, of, the, of the board? It was obviously me. So I drove back there on my small bike and I was thinking, uh, come on, this won't be this won't be the end of politics. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so this was probably a, a driving a driving motivation. So and ultimately, I ended up being the first national chairman of the student organization uh, um, of the biggest student organization in Germany from the eastern part of Germany. Mm -hmm. So and I would say I shaped the narrative of this organization uh, because I brought in a new approach. You know, so coming from the eastern part. So and then, well. Mm, I met a lot of interesting people. And, this and just is, for our listeners who don't yeah. know if I could interject, this was a recently reunified Germany. For listeners who may not know, Germany was for the latter half of the 20th century divided into the GDR and the Federal Republic of Germany. So it was divided in half, and you were getting involved politically in the early 90s right after the reunification. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, and this uh, actually, um, there I felt I could make a lot of... Uh, got a lot, uh, had easy a chance to make an impact uh, on a lot of student uh, related issues so mm -hmm. and if you're going to see that you can make an impact uh, it ultimately leads you back to the question well uh, I have other ideas why don't challenge the, the, the current state and try to affect that so and I was able to do that and then I uh, got the chance to, to run for parliament and uh, was was elected and uh, well then I ended up being general secretary and there are a lot of chances to involve in, in, in policy issues and this all taken together uh, led me to, to, to the question well um, I entered politics in a pretty young age why shouldn't I keep on going pushing getting more people in and this is 
relates back to the, my four piece of, uh, of of politics, which mm -hmm. I told you earlier. I believe in the power of people uh, because uh, people have the power to change things. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I really encourage a lot of people to believe in principles in politics because mm -hmm. ultimately when you decide on issues, you have to have a clear set of core principles which you can rely on. And I work hard that I can that I bring pe new people in to make them participate because I believe... Uh, in a globalized world which uh, relates back to digitization where a lot of people believe that politics becomes more anonymous uh, I think the, 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 the vice versa effect is happening uh, if you want to believe your politician and this relates back to the question what what do you, what I believe is my is my legacy? My legacy is my district quite quite easy to calculate. I can see what what infrastructure pro, uh, mm -hmm. projects I brought in. I can see what I have changed. Mm -hmm. But this is not what is driving me on a daily basis. Uh, what is driving me is basically bringing more people to the to the to the democratic process, mm -hmm. getting them more involved. And bringing their ideas to life. And if we are able to do that all around the globe, and that's why I do a lot of international work, we make this world, and this sounds now kind of pathetic, but uh, we make this world a better place, you know. And uh, that's something uh, which sometimes got lost in this little tiny nitty-gritty things which we sometimes also have to do in politics. And, well, I don't know. Uh, I, I deeply believe uh, in, uh, in politics. Uh, uh, I had a teacher in, in, at UVA, University of Virginia, uh, Larry Sabato, and his, uh, his motto was, politics is a good thing. This sounds easy, but on a daily basis, it's a struggle. And I believe we have to work for that. And that has been Dr. Mario Voigt, a state parliamentarian in the Landtag in uh, Thuringian, uh, Germany, a deputy regional president of the CDU, uh, former chairman of the committee, former secretary general of the union, um, a, uh, a professor of digital transformation in Berlin, and a speaker on economy, science, and digitization in the uh, state parliament here in Germany. He speaks about seeing impact and making impact as a means of defining uh, his motivation for 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 uh, participation in public uh, life, but also uh, as a means of engaging others. He enumerates four principles, that four concepts that drive his public service, his focus on people, principles, purpose, and participation. His conservative principles, which encompass uh, such uh, traditional ideas as, as free trade and economic growth, also can accommodate a constitution as a living document. He brings an international uh, approach to public service, a sense that we're all in it together. Um, and by bringing new, by demonstrating the impact that not only uh, uh, that he's able to have on his constituency, but the impact that each of his constituents are able to have on their own community, uh, that will motivate them to get more involved and that will create a more vibrant democracy uh, in which everyone can continue to uh, contribute to creating a living democracy. In fact, uh, perhaps uh, Dr. Voigt may, uh, his, his words may be best encapsulated with uh, the, the challenge of the Western narrative that he mentioned, uh, that we, uh, our Western style of democracy and our values are under attack by other uh, means of social organization. And perhaps the best way uh, that we can fight back is by participating, by seeing that we have an impact, by being empowered as individuals to take ownership of our own communities, to create change, but also to preserve and protect that which we 
hold uh, dear. So, um, uh, Mario, I'd like to thank you for joining us today. Jordan, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. This has been another episode of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. I'll remind you to subscribe on publicinterestpodcast.com and on iTunes. Leave a review of this podcast on iTunes and listen on Stitcher, SoundCloud, CastBox, Blueberry, Player FM, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Should you wish to comment on this episode, you're welcome to leave a voicemail at 240-630-0380. And the first three minutes of that voicemail may be played in future episodes of Public Interest Podcast. Should you wish to support the podcast, you're welcome to leave a contribution in an amount that you feel comfortable with at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.